On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we're looking at some listener questions. We always like this kind of program, Jacob, where we kind of do a... Oh, boy. My bad. I didn't shut that guy off. Uh, we, we like these smorgasbord kind of programs. We deal a lot of subjects, but all questions submitted by listeners over time. And uh should be interesting tonight. Yeah, four questions and uh, maybe a little time to slip in yours if you want to send it in now. going to be an interesting program. We're getting started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome you to the virtual bible study for thursday december 8th 2022 my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn hello dad jacob great to be with you tonight kyle's behind the controls kyle welcome it's good to be here and welcome to you listening on the other end of the line tonight We'd love to hear from you. If you would take a minute and sign in the chat room with other listeners, you can share your comments there. You can send an email to questions at collegeview.com. You can call. The phone line is open, 931-381-4567, as we look at some listener questions tonight. Before we get to those, Jacob, just a little bit of housekeeping. Every December-ish time frame, we print uh, a Bible reading calendar for the next calendar year. And this week, we have just made the first printing of okay. the 2023 Bible reading calendar. And so we try to make those available. we got several people who consistently use those. And uh, if you will send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and give us your snail mail, your U.S. mail uh, address, we'll put one in uh, in an envelope and get it out to you so that you'll be ready to go at the start of the new year. Uh, so Lord willing, we'll also have it posted on our website. You know, I end up making reference to that pretty often. If I'm not right where my printed copy is at and I want to do my Bible reading for that day, uh, I uh, just get it on the phone, get my phone out and get to the website. So anyway, it'll be available online. But if you want a hard printed copy, send us uh, an email with your address and we'll get one in the mail to you. All right. Uh, Questions at collegeview.com. Got to have a regular mailing address. And uh, that's free of charge, I think. Yeah, absolutely free. Uh, and if you need a bumper sticker, mention that too. We got some. We got a few bumper stickers. All right. What's next? All right. So, over time, we collect questions submitted by our listeners. Sometimes questions come in that accommodate a whole program. Other times, uh, they're they're more random and maybe don't take quite as long to cover. And that's the way it is tonight. One of our smorgasbord programs. So we'll just deal with these one at a time, Jacob. The first one all has to do with being wasteful. Stewardship. Yeah, here's the questions as they came in. What does the Bible say about wasting or throwing things away? Does the principle of stewardship condemn wasting our possessions? After Jesus miraculously fed people, he commanded his disciples to gather the leftovers. Does this teach that it's a sin to waste food? Do the parables of the prodigal son, Luke fifteen thirteen, and the unjust steward, Luke, Luke 16, verse 1, teach that it is a sin to be wasteful? 
And finally, are there sinful attitudes that lead us to be wasteful? Uh, that's pretty. That's pretty interesting cascade of questions there about wasting thing. What do you think, Jacob? Does the Bible say anything about wasting or throwing things away? It does talk about stewardship, and yeah. stewardship would be it would involve the idea of throwing things away. Um, lots of places we could look for uh, this idea of stewardship. Um, the parable of the talents, as is mentioned uh, here, I think, uh, is uh, one of those places where we would see some principles of stewardship. Yeah, the parable of the talents, uh, the, 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 what was entrusted to the three men, they were, they were expected to, to deal with those things faithfully. One place where the word stewardship is found, or steward, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So if you, if you are put in charge of something, in that context, it was the idea of being put in charge with the gospel. But the principle is there that if you are entrusted with something, uh, you are expected to be faithful in the discharge of it. It's actually a qualification in elders as well. First, or Titus chapter 1, verse 7, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. Yeah, yeah you're, you're assuming the role of stewardship. God, When God gives you things, he expects you to use them wisely. So this, there's sort of a broad application of that concept, and I think it would roll over to the material or physical things that we're blessed with. Right. So uh, I, I, would, I would want to grant that there is a stewardship thing involved, and if we were just blatantly and purposefully and outrageously wasteful of the physical blessings that God gives us, I think it would be a stewardship issue. But I think you got to be a little careful, Jacob. Does the Bible say, what does the Bible say about wasting or throwing things away? If we never throw anything away, then we're going to be hoarders, Kyle. Uh, and, you know, and you see in the news every once in a while where the, where the authorities have to go into a home that's where some hoarder has lived and they can't even walk through the place because yeah. they've got just... All their garbage and trash is just piled up inside. Oh, yeah. well, there's been TV shows dedicated to people hoarding, and it's just so. It's I think it's good to. We always talk about how some of our our people here, family here at church, they go to uh, stores where people have given things away that uh, they can be reused. So there's nothing wrong with that. I think if you have something that you don't have need of, you can give it away, so you can probably find purpose again later. So it's that's a good thing to do if you don't need it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's still in good usage, someone else can get usage but, out of it. But, you know, so here, here's my question. The, the way the question is asked, it makes me think that, you know, maybe it would leave you with the impression you can't ever throw anything away. So there's a, there's a, a, a gallon of milk in the refrigerator, and it's, there's about, you know, a couple inches left in the bottom of the, of the jug. Uh, Cindy and I are always adamant that if it hits that expiration date, we're not drinking it. Uh, we, we heard from somebody recently that, oh, yeah, I, I drank some this morning that was a week past the expiration. I, I'm not doing that. When it hits the expiration mark, I'm, I'm pouring it down the drain and throwing the jug away. But it, I, that's why I think you've got to be careful about saying it's a sin to throw anything away. It just so happened that we didn't, that we had more milk than we could use in that set period of time. I don't think that's a sin. I don't think that's being, uh, you know, sinfully wasteful. Yeah, and we got to be careful because I, I don't know the questioner or the motive behind the question, but it, there is a temptation to be judgmental about other people. Maybe Kyle 
has a nice jacket, but he's tired of it, and he just he throws it away. And I think, well, Kyle, that was such a wasteful thing for you to throw that jacket. There was plenty of life left in that jacket. i got to be careful that I'm not projecting my opinions on what others need to do. Because, oh, he's he's wasteful with his possessions because he does certain things with them that I wouldn't do with mine. That's between him and God, and I've got to be careful about that. I think that's true. Yeah, just recently I was doing some painting. Actually, I was doing some spraying of an oil-based uh, stain. And so I knew it was going to be a messy job, and so I wore old clothes, but they were still serviceable clothes. But when I got done with that job, I threw them away. Yep. Now, could they have been salvaged? Well, potentially, but they were old already. And so so I think there's a lot of judgment involved. And like you say, whenever there's judgment involved, you got to be careful about judging someone else's judgments. Right. Yeah. yeah, you threw those clothes away. There are plenty of people who would say, no, you should have put those at least made rags out of them and yeah. used them that way or yeah. Yeah. done something else with them. There's a lot of judgment that we've got to be careful. About. Yeah. Uh, so. What about what about this this question, Jacob? It no. says, after Jesus miraculously fed people, he commanded his disciples to gather leftovers. Does this teach that it's a sin to waste food? I, I really don't think that in the context of those two episodes, you know, one time Jesus fed 4,000, another time he fed 5,000. I don't think that in the context of either one of those events that the lesson that was being driven home with the collection of the leftovers was save your leftovers. I think the, the I think the point being made was that Jesus had made so miraculously made so much that it fed thousands of people, and there was and there was more left over when they when they ended than when they started. I, I I really think that's why that's enumerated for us. I don't think it's enumerated for us for the purpose of saying save your leftover food any more than it's saying you need to clean up your picnic area. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, agreed. Yeah, so, yeah, was the lesson don't litter yeah. or was it the miraculous power of Jesus? Right. Yeah, okay. I think that's right. What about the parable of the prodigal son, Jacob? He, Luke fifteen thirteen is the reference there. And uh, the prodigal son was wasteful, but I don't think he's condemned for wasting physical possessions. I think the, the lesson here for we see is that he wasted the opportunities that Remember the parallel here. Yeah. This is the one who's turned his back on God, has gone away, and comes back. And uh, in Luke fifteen thirteen, after many days, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Yeah. He wasted the opportunity that he had the, the with King, his father. The, the King James says he wasted his substance with riotous living. So yeah. he, he was living immorally. Yeah, and and he and he and he was blowing the uh, the blessings that he would have had with his father. If, yeah. The spiritual parallel for us is if we don't live like we should, we're wasting the blessings that God has provided for us. Yeah. So again, I don't think I don't think that the, that this would pertain to, you know, he was he he was maybe throwing away food that he could have saved and used at another time or. Whatever he, he he was living an immoral lifestyle, and as you say, that what he was really wasting was the opportunity to be in a right relationship with his father. And it's a parable, and the and the parable, the point of the parable is, the father represents God, and the prodigal represents us. And so, you know, we need to to cherish the relationship that we can have with our father. Uh, 
But again, I don't think that that parable addresses specifically the idea of wastefulness. Now, we're not condoning wastefulness, yeah. but I don't think that passage or the uh, par- the uh, story of Jesus uh, taking telling the disciples to gather up the leftovers are passages that you could use to c- condemn wastefulness. Now, the, the questioner mentions another uh, parable in the very next chapter of Luke, Luke 16, beginning verse 1. It is actually about a steward. Uh, Luke 16, 1, he said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward. The same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear of this? Give an account of my, of thy stewardship, for thou mayest no longer be steward. So the problem with this steward was, and again, it uses the word wasted, but you get the idea that he had been negligent in his oversight responsibilities to take care of this man's goods. And and then, of course, the parable goes on to say that he, he corruptly uh, tried to sort of cushion, cushion his landing because he was going to get kicked out of the job. Right. And so he had he had people who were in debt to his master write, write down or lower the amount that they owed so that he would be in their good favor. It's a, I actually think that the parable of the unjust steward is a pretty tough one in the case of Jesus, uh, Jesus' teaching. Uh, but I think the, the message of the, the, the lesson of that parable is in verse 8. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. So the guy was corrupt. He had been a corrupt steward. He, he, had, he committed additional corruption by cheating his master out of debts that were owed to him. But his agenda was to take care of himself. And in that regard, he was pretty shrewd in how he took care of himself. And Jesus is just saying the people of this world are often wiser concerning their agenda than the children of God are considering the agenda that we ought to be concerned with. All right. So, um, yeah. Now, he was bad for wasting his master's goods uh, in verse 1 of 16. Uh, he was uh, wasting his goods. So he was wasting the master's goods. That was bad. He was entrusted with them, and he had not uh, taken care of them like he should. And so that goes back to the stewardship principle that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. There is such a thing. There is a stewardship principle, and and all of us uh, have been blessed abundantly with riches from God, and, and we ought to be decent stewards of it. Nor ought to be, and we're going to be held accountable for how we steward the things that God has yeah. given us. The parable of the talents in in Matthew 25 tells us that, verses 14 uh, down through verse 30. We're going to be held responsible for how we use the blessings God has given us. And over and over again, he does tell us to be wise stewards. In Proverbs, we see lots of places that would tell us that we need to be stewards. We need to be using God's blessings in a way that is uh, responsible. In Proverbs chapter uh, 21, verse 20 there's treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. Uh, a lot of passages we could cite from Proverbs that tell us that we need to be using our blessings in a responsible way. I think so too. That, that brings glory to God, and um, that we need to be we need to be good stewards. So let's grab a break, Jacob, and when we come back, we want to wrap up this discussion with the last part of that question. What are 
Are there sinful attitudes that lead people to be wasteful? Let's cover that when we come back from All the right, break. We'll get that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Here's a quick thought. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Jeremiah 17.10 Remember, there's nothing hidden from the eyes of God. He searches our hearts and tests our minds. What will he see today? Think about it. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they've never failed to imitate them. Remember your basic assignment as a parent is to work yourself out of a job. Smart people learn from their own mistakes. Smarter people learn from the mistakes of others. Be cheerful and happy. The greater part of our happiness or misery depends upon our dispositions and not upon our circumstances. When you choose your friends, don't be shortchanged by choosing personality over character. Every day, in every way, strive to be better and do better. Man, wish I'd said that. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight, and we're talking about listener questions. <clears throat> the, the question the, about... Right. Oh, I was just going to say, the chat room is stone cold quiet. It is. Well, we need to get we need to get some chatter going in there. It's a um, waste of a of a good chat room, if you ask me, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> so get it. At least tell us where you're listening from tonight. Just get something started in the chat room. The last part of our question about wastefulness, Jacob, was: Are there sinful attitudes that lead us to be wasteful? Well, one of those sinful attitudes is the attitude of slothfulness. Uh, and uh, in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 9. Oh, that's good, yeah. He that is, a, is slothful in his work is a brother to him that is a great waster. Yeah. Slothfulness is uh, something that uh, causes us to be wasteful. In Proverbs chapter 24, beginning of verse 30, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof. And the stone wall thereof was broken down. Uh, then I saw and considered it well, and I looked upon it and received instruction. Yeah. Uh, being slothful is in is it leads to wastefulness. Yeah. Yeah. So s- sloth would be one attitude. I I think that uh, you could add in there an attitude of ingratitude. So I'm not I'm not grateful for the things I have, and therefore. It doesn't matter to me to waste them or not. You know, you know, we have such an abundance that it's easy to be wasteful. But if, if we were on really hard times, for instance, that two inches of milk that was in the bottom of the jug that I threw away, if we were on, if we were on hard times like some people are on hard times, I might have drank that days after it passed its expiration. Right. And so, you know, if we're not it, – it, 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 Maybe our abundance uh, has caused us to be ungrateful for right. the things that we have. I agree. I think so. And then I was also thinking that maybe uh, uh, s- sort of a carnal spirit, you know, of fleshly gratification kind of attitude. 
I'm just in it for the moment. You know, I'm just in it. I just in it for what I can get out of it right now. Kind of a thing. Uh, uh, it is an attitude that that certainly is pervasive in our world right now. And and it would cause people to be wasteful because they're just in it for the moment. And if it doesn't gratify them in the moment, they're not even worried about it thereafter. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good uh, observation. James chapter um, one, uh, or sorry, James chapter five, again verse one. Go to now, you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered. The rest of them is, uh, shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were a fire. You have heaped together treasure for the last days. Uh, it goes on, verse 5, you've lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Um, just sort of this wasteful live for the day, um, let your riches be your corruption. I think that uh, certainly is a danger that would uh, would lead to wastefulness. Yeah. Uh, Eric in the chat room. We finally got we, we finally got a little uh, bump in the chat room. Eric says, uh, uh, quotes Colossians three twenty two. You who are servants who are owned by someone, obey your owners. Work hard for them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Work for them as you would for the Lord, because you honor the Lord. And so I think that goes to this concept probably of stewardship, you know, that that we should work hard no matter what, because there's an accountability to God. Yeah. Uh, Dwight, or he goes on, he says, I think there's a verse two that says something to the effect of if you're getting paid for a day, then work that day. Uh, and Dwight and Michelle say, if I have a chair that breaks and I fix it and then it breaks again, so I throw it away and buy a new one. I don't think that is wrong. Some things in this world uh, also have a shelf life, so to speak. Yeah, I think you're right, Dwight. I, uh, you know, we we th- things wear out. You know, so you know, I would like to buy a car and it lasts me for the rest of my life with no mechanical issues yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. And get you know 75 miles a gallon. Yeah. But that doesn't happen. I'd like to have a shirt that I wore for 25 or 30 years, but my wife says that that can't happen. I think you've got some. I do have some. <laughs> I have to sort of hide them from her. Yeah. Some of your old T-shirts I remember from high yeah, school and got, college days. I've got T-shirts that are almost as old as Kyle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but, no, I mean, yeah, there's there's comes a time when there's a shelf life on some things that probably need to go. Yeah. That it's not wasteful, and, and, we're, and we're thankful for the things that we've been given, and we're not being lazy with them. Right. So. Nostalgia is not a sin in yeah. some way. <laughs> being nostalgic to, to an extent. Yeah. I think we got to make there's limitations. So. Yeah, all right. <laughs> all right, so I think we've covered that first question, and I think it's a good question. You know, it, it's actually a, a, a topic I don't think we've ever discussed on the virtual Bible study. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that I've ever taught on the notion of being wasteful, but I think it's a worthy consideration. Yeah, it is. It's something we need to think about for sure. Okay. Let's move on to the second question. And you all in the chat room get busy. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. Uh, we have uh, Kent. We, we got, we got Kent addressed all that. Let's read what Kent said about Kent wastefulness. Says, being before. wastefulness is out of harmony with the will of God, such as opposed to all blessings bestowed upon us by God. First Corinthians four verse two indicates that there is a divine requirement that as stewards, one must be faithful. If one wastes that which has been bestowed upon us by God, one has committed sin. There are sinful attitudes that lead individuals to be wasteful. Lack of gratitude to God for those things he has bestowed upon us certainly will cause one to lack the necessary realization and gratitude for what God has given us. Now, I, I had not read Kent's uh, answer yet, but he, he's obviously on the same page we are there yep. with that. Right. Thank you, Kent. Kent's a faithful correspondent in Calhoun, Georgia. Thanks, Thanks Kent. Kent. 
Uh, all right, so let's move on to the second question. Matthew five nineteen. Let me read that real quick, and then here's and we'll get the question. Jesus, of course, this is Sermon on the Mount context. Matthew five nineteen. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. All right. So the question uh, is. I think probably jumps off the page pretty obviously there. And this questioner says, can we really break the least of the commandments of God and still go to heaven? I thought we were supposed to keep all the commands. <clears throat> so I was thinking about uh, how to respond to this question. And I think there's an assumption that's not valid the the question implies an assumption that's not valid and the assumption is that a person who's least in the kingdom of heaven is going to go to heaven okay uh, that i don't think that's a given I, I think the question is based upon the uh, on the presupposition that if you're in the kingdom of heaven you're going to heaven but i don't know i don't know that i think that's true so uh, if you if you break a commandment and teach men to break a commandment you're going to be called least in the kingdom and even though you're you'd still be in the kingdom you'd be an erring citizen in the kingdom of god you'd be an erring child of god and this would go to the idea jacob that you can lose your salvation you know once saved not always saved is is what the bible teaches so this is a person who is going to break commandments and encourage others to break them yeah in Matthew chapter 13, beginning of verse 24, another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of owners came and said to him, Sir, do you not, uh, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? He said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now in verse 36, his disciples come and ask to him, explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and he and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. They will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's gathering them out of the kingdom. Yeah. There are things in the kingdom at this time that won't be in the kingdom the, of heaven uh, in the, the end. Heavenly kingdom. They're going yeah. to be gathered out. Yeah. There are people in the church today who are not going to be in heaven because they're not living like they should. They're they're putting on a show. They're engaged in sin. They're teaching others by either by word or by example to do the same. They're the least in the kingdom, but that doesn't mean they're going to be in heaven. I think that's exactly right. Uh, he said, the, the questioner says, I thought we were supposed to keep all the commands. I think we are. Uh, 1 John 2, 
Verse 3, hereby we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. First John 5, verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. And so there's plenty of emphasis in the scripture on commandment keeping. Uh, uh, and it, it is to be our goal to keep all the commandments. Now, in that same book of First John, John says in First John 1, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So yeah, our, our goal is to be perfect in keeping all the commands of God, John says that we're going to come short of that at time to time, and, and there's an avenue of, uh, to address that. But anybody who wants, you know, and, and this, this is very common in the religious world today, the idea of downplaying the commandments. Ah, you're just a commandment keeper. You're just, you're just stressing the commands. Let's just, let's just talk about the love of God and stop making such a big deal about keeping the commandments. Well, you notice, this is how, this is the love of God. First John five verse three. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. So you, know, you can't you can't separate loving God from keeping His commandments. Yeah. All right. Um, here's what uh, Kent says: the commandments that are discussed in Matthew five nineteen are those that were his were components of the Mosaic law. Individuals today do not live amenable to the Old Testament Hebrews 12, seven verse twelve, and many other passages that we could cite in the New Testament. By the way. Hence, limited on time and space there. You could go on and on for a list as long as your arm. However, the principle of obedience to God and his divine revelation is equally applicable regarding the New Testament of Christ. Those who reject the least of the divine commandments in the New Testament cannot be in a saved condition due to the fact that such is a rejection of Christ. In the absolute sense of the word, there are no lesser commandments. I really like that last expression, there are no lesser commandments. And I appreciate Kent bringing out that in the context of that statement of Matthew five nineteen, the commandments uh, that were under consideration specifically there were the commandments of the Old Testament law, because in in the run up verses verse seventeen, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets; I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For yeah. verily I say to you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. The law of Moses. Whosoever therefore, so uh, Kent is exactly right that the the commandments under consideration in the immediate context had to do with the keeping of the Old Testament commandments. And that's a good point because then in that case the kingdom would have been the Old Testament uh, economy there, the Old Testament arrangement, in which you could be in the kingdom and be completely opposed to God, you're still an Israelite. Yeah, yeah. Hebrews chapter 7, or sorry, chapter 8 talks about the time that uh, in verse 11, none of them in the new covenant, the new kingdom, uh, none of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. So there may be an angle of that there in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is talking about the Old Testament arrangement where you could be, you could disobey yet still be in the kingdom of israel so either way you go about it yeah. that that passage is, is be, it would be horribly abused to teach that there are some 
commandments that you can decide to not keep right and yeah. still be okay yeah right okay. all right uh we how we're over time um let's see dwight and michelle john fourteen fifteen. if you let me keep my commandments if we don't keep his commandments we must repent and do as we ought if we don't repent we will give an account and suffer the consequences amen to that dwight and michelle right. thank you for exactly that right. let's get a break when we get back what's next so when we get back what about jesus said whosoever is not against us is for us or we'll read this text in mark 9 is it, and the question we want to deal with it is it possible that there are those in denominational settings that are saved because they do not speak against jesus oh okay so could you be in in other words could you be in a denomination and be right with well, God? well the, 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 let me get this real quick before we break in mark 9 there was this man casting out demons and the apostles didn't like it and and so they they addressed Jesus about it, but the 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 phrase we'll have to discuss is Jesus said, "For he that is not against us is on our part." Uh-huh. Okay, don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. One of the more difficult duties that preachers are called upon to fulfill is the task of preaching funerals. These are never happy events. The grief and sadness that accompany such occasions makes this a very challenging work. A funeral, while still filled with heartache, is much easier if the deceased is known to be a faithful Christian. The preacher can speak of hope and consolation based upon the promises of God. Though no mortal can speak with certainty about the eternal condition of any other accountable individual, and while there is no basis to ever, quote, preach someone into heaven, unquote, it is comforting to be reminded of the hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, Titus 1, verse 2. On the other hand, it's very hard to preach the funeral of someone who never obeyed the gospel or of a Christian who had become unfaithful to the Lord. What can be said to console the family and friends? The sad reality of the situation makes it effectively impossible for a preacher who really knows the circumstances to say words that would be of much help to ease the burden of the bereaved. For this reason, the family will often call upon a preacher who does not know the deceased very well and who can only speak in vague generalities. Who will preach your funeral when you die? Will your loved ones be able to call upon a preacher who knows you well, who is aware of your life of service in God's kingdom, and can thus speak words of comfort? Or, in order to avoid the harsh reality of your actual spiritual condition, will they have to call upon a stranger to do your service? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. Back on the program tonight, reminding the program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeu.com. Kyle, your 30 seconds of fame starts now. Yeah, which is a lot of stuff, a lot of resources on our other <laughs> channel, which you're watching the virtual Bible study. You can go to College View live stream on YouTube. There's a lot of good resources on there a lot of studies but not every week yeah a lot of good things all right so we get so we've 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 mentioned this before Kyle there's there's actually four distinct opportunities there you've got Sunday morning bible class which is is archived right now we're studying in the gospel of luke you got the sunday morning sermon it's always archived as soon as the live stream goes goes off the it's it's available in archive form on youtube all of this on youtube on our 
College View live stream channel. And then we got a Sunday night sermon. So there's three opportunities to, to engage for a, a period of Bible study during the week. And then, of course, we've got the virtual Bible study on Thursday night, and it's archived every week. So even if you can't listen live on any of those occasions, you've got it. You've got. So I just need to be studying my Bible more. I wonder how I could study my Bible more. Plug in and listen. And, 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 you know, get your Bible out and follow the scripture references and, and you'll have effectively four hours worth of Bible study. There you go. Yeah, that's good. All right, Kyle, thanks for getting that out there. Yeah. And uh, you went over 30 seconds, but that's okay. <laughs> um, all right, we're talking about listener questions tonight. Okay, so the, the question is, is asked is based upon Mark 9, verses 38 through 40. Let me read that real quick. Mark 9, verse 38. John answered Jesus, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followed not us, and we forbade him, because he followed not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me, for he that is not against us is on our part. Now, in Luke's account of the same episode, let me read that as well. Luke 9, verse 48, John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him because he followed not with us. And Jesus said to him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. So that expression, he that is not against us is for us, or he that is not against us is on our part. And the the questioner asked, Is it possible then that there are those in denominational settings I mean, there might be a, a, a wide variety of different denominational views that they hold, but they are still okay. They're still saved because they do not speak against Jesus. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, first off, to be saved, I've got to obey uh, commandments. Um, Jesus is the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. And so if I'm not obeying him, I'm not saved. Um, and if I haven't obeyed him on what it takes to be saved, then I'm not saved. I'm not in a right relationship with God. Yeah, I think that's true. Now, interestingly, we just recently we, uh, just mentioned that we're studying the Gospel of Luke on, in our Sunday morning Bible class. We, we just recently dealt with, I don't know if you remember it or not, Kyle, we dealt with this. I call him the, the unidentified exorcist. But in Mark's account, see, maybe even clearer, did you notice that there's no denial of the fact that he was actually performing the miracle? John's objection was not, we saw this guy and he was claiming to cast out demons and we know he can't do that. And we told him to stop pretending. That's not what, that's not the, that's not what he said. We saw one casting out devils in thy name. Not not faking it, but he, he he didn't say he was faking it. He said he was casting out devils in in thy name. Now, we know in Acts 19, is that where you're going? That's where I'm going. There, yeah. were, there were people who faked. Yeah. Read, read that. In Acts 19, verse 11, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. 
Also, there are seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? The man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I always chuckle at that. That always makes me laugh. What happened to those guys? They got what was coming. Yeah. But so we know there were fakers. We know there were fakers. Didn't work, though. But it didn't work. But in, in in the text in Mark 9, the text in question, that wasn't the case. This guy really was casting out devils in Jesus' name. John's whole objection was we forbade him because he followed not us or we forbade him because he followed not with us. In other words, John's objection was he's not in our traveling company. He's not in our immediate group. And it's almost as though maybe uh, uh, they they were going to lose their unique status. They were being exclusive, right? We're we're, We're the ones that were with Christ and nobody else can be. It's interesting in in Mark nine just before this in the in the paragraph just before this, uh, that uh, there were Jesus asked his disciples verse thirty eight, what was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be greatest. Yep. And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last, and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me but him that sent me. So in the immediate context, there had been this issue of we want to know who's the greatest. We want to, you know, which of us is going to be greatest? And in that immediate context, then there was this objection we saw this guy casting out devils, but he wasn't in our group, and he might be detracting from our fame, our popularity, because he's doing this out here not in our traveling company. So it, it, it was not a case of a fellow who was teaching something completely different, doing something completely different. John's whole objection, he never denied that he worked a miracle. His whole objection was he's just not in our traveling company. Yeah. And Jesus said, that's, that's okay. You don't have to be in our traveling company. Uh, and it is in that context, he says, he that is not against us is for us. Well, he was for Jesus. He was he was doing and he was doing miracles in the name of Jesus. Yeah, Kyle. Yeah. Well, I think they're not necessarily dealing with this, but I think there may be a sub context here with that, with that. Especially with that, like we can be as Christians, we can look down on others. Like, well, you're not in our company. You're not a member of the church. So, so we're just like, just look like sideways you're just, at you're just yeah. look at that guy. He's, look at that crazy guy. He's, like, he's surely going to hell, that guy. But we're, we're good. We're the good guys here. So, yeah, right. so we got to yeah, make sure that we're not having that attitude as well. So. Sort of have a, a, a automatic suspicion of someone who's not in your immediate, comp- in your immediate group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't think there's anything about that at all that would justify. So. The question is, is it possible that there are those in denominational settings that are saved because they do not speak against you? Well, if, if they're not in the one true church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then they are not saved, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, they have to be obeying the will of God. There, there's a, there's a, a, a very easily identified plan of salvation that one must observe and, and, and obey and teach. Uh, there's a very distinct pattern of worship uh, that one must observe. There's a very clear uh, 
set of instructions about the work and organization of the of the church that that is not to be violated and so nothing that happened there in that episode with Jesus and John would suggest that you could violate any of those kind of things well this guy doesn't really teach the gospel plan of salvation but he believes in Jesus is he okay? No, he's not okay. This, this guy's a member of church where you say the sinner's prayer. He said the sinner's prayer. He, had, he went up on the altar call. Uh, is he okay? He never said anything bad about Jesus. Right. But, but he's, he's not, not okay. He's not, he, Jesus isn't his Lord because he's not obeying him. Okay. Now, you can be in, in churches that are not all that they should be. The church at Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, beginning of verse 1, had people. It was a bad church. It had, uh, it had, um, it had, they had, they were dead, but there were still brethren in there that were faithful. They hadn't, but they hadn't soiled their garments. They hadn't compromised. They hadn't committed the, they hadn't gone along with the evil that was being done there. Um, and so if you can be in a church that's not perfect without compromising yourself and going along with the sin, but in the denominational world, I don't believe that's possible. Yeah. Catch, catch us up on what Kent's saying here. And Kent says in Mark chapter 9, verse 38 through 40, is not discussing those who accept the deity of Christ and are divided religiously. There was no religious difference under consideration here. The individual that was rebuked by John was acting by the authority of Christ in the casting out of demons. He was rebuked because he was not following the 12. There was no authority for making such a requirement upon this individual. He was not part of a religious institution that existed in that day that was unauthorized by the Old Testament. This passage has nothing to do with the concept of denominationalism or, for that matter, division in the New Testament church. The principle under consideration demonstrates that one who acts by divine authority must not be opposed. The very nature of denominationalism rejects the authority of Christ. Those who are identified with such cannot be saved in such a condition because denominationalism rejects the authority of Christ. Yeah. I think exactly right. The authority that that Christ said we need to be unified. And the denominationalism exist as a result of dividing. Well well said, Kent, well said. Uh, Jeanette in Vermont says, First John, and it's actually chapter 4, verse 1. There she's got it. First John 4, verse 1 says, to try the spirits because there are a lot of false prophets. And that's true. It was true in the first century and it's true now. Yeah. But that guy in, in Mark 9 was not a false prophet. Right. And no. so Jesus wasn't saying, well, he's okay, you know. That's a that's an abuse of the passage for sure. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Let's grab our last break, Jacob. When we come back, a really important question: How do we establish true, sincere humility? And David poses a question in the chat room: What is the difference between God and God the you, Father? You invited additional questions, so I he's did. Thrown out Let's see his... if we can sneak it in. Yeah. Okay. Uh, David, maybe give us a little bit more context as to your question there, so we can uh, answer it quickly here. We're going fast on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. When you take away the ice cream socials, the family center, the gym, the fellowship hall, and the plays from your church, what do you have left? Is there anything of real spiritual substance? Is there anything that says this is all about God and not all about me? At the College View Church of Christ, we want to stay focused on the goal of serving God. We don't offer what most churches offer. But we do offer Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If that's what you're looking for, come worship with us this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. at the College View Church of Christ. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. 
At least a third of denominational pastors in the United States believe one can earn a place in heaven by simply being a good person. That's according to a nationwide survey. That information comes from the Christian Post. The Word of God says in Titus 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the you... Father by him. Colossians 3, 17. Now, the plumbers back to the are program. in there. We're back on the program, and we're going to the top of the hour. Uh, plumbers or no plumbers, we're going to the top of the hour uh, talking about... Um, listener questions and uh we're on number four and we got number five coming from uh, david here so take it away number four okay number four uh how do we establish true humility let's start out with kent's answer kent says we develop true sincere humility by living in a manner of lowliness and meekness with long suffering forbearing one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace he gives a direct scripture answer ephesians 4 verses 2 and 3 i think that's pretty good uh so uh, th- there's a good scriptural answer to the question. Uh, so I think that, of course, pride is the opposite of humility. And w- one of the reasons why we are prideful and not humble is because uh, we feel pretty self-satisfied. First uh, Timothy 6, verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world. That's us that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So uh, our, our abundance is a threat to our humility. So we gotta, we got to keep that. we got to be mindful of that. Uh, uh, I think selfishness keeps us from being humble because it's all about me and what I want, what I want to do, and so I think I think uh, our abundance keeps us from being humble. Uh, I think that's a great challenge for us in this very affluent time we live in. Uh, another another thing that you know causes us to be proud, the opposite of humility, is it's all about me. And and you you know uh, you 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 uh, 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 slighted me uh, you offended me uh, you know you didn't hold me in respect like I feel like I deserve well uh, uh, if we if we are humble then those kind of things don't affect us but when we are focused on self and how uh, it's all about me. We got to get out of that mindset. Get out of the mindset of it's all about me, if we're going to be humble. All right, Eric uh, in the chat room says humility comes from knowing we are only saved through God's grace and mercy and not our own doing. I think you're exactly right, Eric. Exactly right. Uh, you know, one one of the things that helps us be humble is when we realize that we are weak and miserable in the sight of God. You know, we don't have anything to be proud about. When we realize our own sinful faults and failures, we need to. It should cause us to be humble. Well, that gets us back to where we started the program tonight with the prodigal son, <clears throat> and uh, he said um, the prodigal son came to himself, and uh, he said, "I'll go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants.' That's the attitude that we need to have 
as we've wandered from God, we're no longer worthy to be called his, his children. Uh, we, we're just begging for uh, the opportunity to be in a relationship with him. Yeah. So I, I, I think there's a lot of... Uh, the the subjects are almost inseparable. They're just opposite sides of the same coin, pride and humility. Everything that that we're proud about is working against humility. And so if you see the things that cause us to be proud, then you know the things we need to address in order to be humble. There you go. What did Kent say about it? Oh, we already read Kent. We already read Kent. Okay. Um, We did? Yeah, I did at the start. Oh, okay. Dwight and Michelle, God is creator of all things and humanity. Oh, he's addressing this. Uh, Dwight's addressing this question about. So let's, oh, well, so, so let's go back to this question from David. What's the difference between God and God the Father? My answer to that would be the term God sometimes refers to God the Father. Very often it refers to God the Father. But the term God is a term that denotes deity. Uh, so. You know, for instance, I was just studying this today in Acts chapter 20. Uh, it's it's uh, when when Paul was addressing the elders at Ephesus, Acts 20, verse 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Well, whose blood purchased the church? It was Jesus' blood. But notice it's called the, the it's the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I think it's referring to Jesus as God there. And so I think it's using the it's using the, the God in the sense of deity. And in, in the sense of godhood or deity, there are three beings that possess all those attributes the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So they are God. God the Father is God. He's deity. Jesus is God. He's he's he possesses all the attributes of deity. The John Holy, one, yeah. John one. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Okay. So that's that's a good tie-in. So to talk about Jesus it says he's God. Yeah. And then the the, the Holy Spirit is also uh, denoted that way in Acts chapter uh, five. Uh, and when Ananias and Sapphira lied about the the contribution they made, uh, verse three, Peter said to Ananias, "Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost to keep back part of the price of land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? After it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God." Well, the previous verse said he lied to the Holy Ghost. The next verse said he lied to God. The Holy Ghost is God. So you got to you got to let the context determine whether the term God is being used in the in the overall sense of de- deity. And if that's the case, then you can use that descriptive of Father, Son, or Spirit. But very often, uh, and again, you're going to have to let the context bear out the answer. To that very often, the term God is used. Uh, relative to the Father specifically. David follows up. God is spirit. God the Father is part of the Trinity. Are they the same? So uh, is God Jesus uh, the Son? Is God the Holy Spirit? Uh, is uh, Sorry, is the Father the Holy Spirit? Is the Father the Son? No, they're not the same being. They're, sep- they're, they're certainly separate and distinct beings. Okay. But they all 
all three, Father, Son, and Spirit, possess the full attributes of godhood or deity. We see them all uh, present at the baptism of Christ um, and, uh, and, and, and it's at the same time. Um, and so um, I think that that shows us that they're not the same. You know, very famously in Genesis chapter 1, uh, oh, we'll get these pages to turn loose here. Genesis 1, uh, verse 28, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle. And so God created man in his own image. Well, who who was God talking to when he said, Let us let us make man in our image? Uh, you know, someone said, well, he had a mouse in his pocket or something. No, no, he's talking to the other two individuals who are divine, okay. who are God. Okay, so they're not the same, um, and uh, but they all have divine nature. They're all uh, yeah. Uh, God. Yeah. So we covered our questions, Jacob, and we even got an extra one in there. Wow, for no pretty, extra pretty, charge. Pretty good, no extra no, charge. No extra charge. All right, Kyle, final thoughts from you. No, it's a good study. I love these kind of programs. It's good. Yeah, I appreciate you being here and help us get it out. Appreciate our listeners for submitting these questions. Yeah, thanks. That's very helpful. I uh, hope you benefited from our study and discussion of the God's Word tonight. Dad, thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. If you've got questions about what you've heard on this edition or any edition of the Virtual Bible Day, we encourage you to email questions at collegeview.com. We welcome your comments at any time and hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.